Hey, welcome to the Art Condition Podcast, a weekly show that will discuss the business, community, and often undiscussed stress and mental health concerns of being a professional artist or even a serious hobbyist. I'm Joby. I've been in the tattoo and illustration professions for 25 years. My co-host is Moose, a data analyst, social media manager, and art agent. If you enjoy the content, please consider visiting the Patreon page and the show notes to help support the effort. Or if that's not an option, please like, subscribe, leave a good review, or just share with your friends. And definitely go visit the links of our guests on this episode. Thanks for listening and have a great day. This week, we are talking to Leisha Hannigan. Leisha is a case study in the self-made artist. Listening to her story, we can learn a lot about how to develop a peer group that can offer the same guidance, support, and network that you typically think of as something you have to go to art school to find. We start out talking to Leisha about the development and early stages of her career and how her path led her to prestigious positions, including the role of art director for the highly acclaimed and wildly successful tabletop role-playing game, Humblewood. We discuss topics of reputation and trust, managing a massive indie project, and of course, fair pricing. From there, we talk a lot about social media, the normalization of therapy and mental health issues, and generally creating a balanced mindset toward your work. I hope you enjoy listening to Leisha as much as we enjoy talking to her. She has an infectious positivity, even when talking about darker topics. And I know I will re-listen to this episode myself, just for the positivity boost. Here's our interview with Leisha Hannigan. Oh man. Okay. Hi, Leisha. We've I don't we've never really met. Hello. Nice to meet you. Hi. Nice to meet you. <laughs> I wish I wish that it hadn't have been such a frantic start. Um, we could have had a little bit more of a warm up beforehand, but here we are. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for for being here. Um, Moose knows you so much better than I do, obviously. So I'm gonna step back and I'm gonna let Moose take the charge on this one. Moose, please. Well, I mean, first, starting off is just the the, the quick uh, introductory stuff. Like, so, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, uh, how did you get into uh, the the art field? Um. Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, that's a long and windy path for most of us, I'm sure. Um. I guess for me, I was just same as everyone else. I just drew a lot since I was a tiny little gremlin. Um. And it's what I spent most of my time doing. And I didn't realize that being an artist was actually a viable career until my early 20s. Um, and then I was like, that sounds like fun. Maybe I should try and be actually good at this thing. And then I kind of stumbled my way into it. Um, so it's a very, very short version <laughs> of my story, I suppose. Uh, but yeah. I just stumbled uh, my way to... into Magic the Gathering and Riot and Humblewood. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. your, your, mo your modesty is, is mind-blowing. I appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you. That's very kind. <laughs> Did you uh, go to art school or were you uh, mostly self-taught? Um, so I did go to university and I studied graphic design. Um, I didn't go to art school to learn things like fine art or illustration. 
Um, but I think there are a lot of crossover skills, obviously, that you learn when you study design. I know tons of other artists who were graphic designers to start off with as well. And I think it really does help. Um, but yeah, I did that for a few years. Um, and then when I decided that I actually wanted to try and do the art thing seriously, um, it was kind of a combination of like online resources, random tutorials, um, classes like schoolism, um, st random stuff on Skillshare, um, that kind of thing. And I actually feel really lucky that I came into the sort of digital art fantasy commercial art scene when I did because there were already so many resources available that I don't think would have been there if I had come in even like five years earlier um but yeah so that's that's kind of how it all went <laughs> what was your uh initial inspiration to get into art um well I suppose when I first thought that I would like to, it's funny because like when I first was like, I want to, I want to do this like for a job. I didn't know all the different roles you could really have as like a 2D artist. Um, back then it was like concept artist and that covered everything in my mind. You know how like we all thought concept art was the same thing as like promotional art and like, yeah, advertise like, it, I didn't really know the different terms for it. Um, but at the time, I played lots of WoW, and I was like, I would work for Blizzard, that would be really cool. Um, and I don't know what I thought I would end up doing, because I clearly didn't really understand like the pipeline or, or anything that goes into making those games. But um, I think, yeah, I just was like, I would work on video games, because uh, they were such a huge defining factor for me um it's they're something that's been such a like incredible escape for me they've really got me through a lot of stuff in my life as I'm sure they have for pretty much everyone here everyone in chat um so I really wanted to kind of help create those worlds in a way um so that's really the main inspiration I would say but uh interestingly most people know you from your uh your work in uh like tabletop RPGs or in uh, Magic the Gathering, which is, you know, a uh, uh, physical media. So how yeah. did you uh, transfer from being interested in video games to doing more illustration stuff? I think that's like the funny part of this because I actually, I talked about this on Twitter a while ago, which led to like a really interesting widespread discussion um, about the fact that like one of the biggest things you kind of end up learning is like the art that you really like looking at is probably not going to be the type of art that you end up making mm, a lot of the time. Um, and for me, I kind of had to like reconcile that because um, I was like, you know, I was looking at tons of like blizzard art, lots of art. Um, like I loved like the artwork from like Torchlight and games like that. So very stylized, very chunky, not at all what I do now. Um, and I think I kind of realized at some point, I really like looking at this, but I'm not very good at doing that kind of stylized art. And I, I don't know, I just found that I veered more towards like fantastical realism or whatever you want to call it. Um, and that worked for me. I still really like looking at stylized art. Like I love it so much. I think it's like mind blowing how people are able to like simplify shapes and like have some, such strong like shape language I can't I don't know I find that really difficult um but I do like looking at it um and I think that's part of why I ended up kind of going more into tabletop 
Um, I hadn't actually played Magic the Gathering until like my mid twenties or something. Um, I, I knew what it was uh, because of course, but I just, yeah, hadn't played it till then. Um, I'd played Hearthstone and that was the closest thing. Um, and I'd never played d and I always wanted to, but I didn't have any like nerd friends. I didn't have it. I was like, <laughs> it was like the single weird nerd and I didn't know anyone to play with. Um, so yeah, so I think, I think just, um, I'm able to like do all the world building stuff that really appealed to me early on, but just with like a different medium and it provides the same kind of satisfaction, I think for me. So yeah. Well, uh, the thing about this is that uh, tabletop RPG art is notorious for being rather, rather low paying. So if this was the field you're going into, uh, I'm curious, how did, how did you get your foothold in the industry? Like, were you doing private commissions or were you already getting industry clients out the bat? So just thinking back a little bit, um, I think what I did first would have been when I was sort of transitioning. So I'll just, I'll just go all the way back because it'll make more sense. Um, so I, I was working in graphic design. Um, I was in-house. Um, in Australia, I was I was actually earning a really good annual salary back then. Uh, graphic design, spoiler alert, pays a lot more than illustration, generally speaking. Um, I think it was like 70K or something. So it was a very good, like, livable wage for, especially for someone who wasn't, like, I wasn't senior um, necessarily. So yeah. Then I kind of transitioned from that into illustration. I did a lot of like freelance graphic design in between that because I already knew how to do that. And that really helped me going, keep going. Um, but uh, then kind of eventually started transitioning. And in the beginning of that sort of phase, it was a lot of like private commissions here and there. A lot of what everyone does, like, you know, little character art commissions, um, I'd eventually start getting commissions from a lot of self-published authors, which was great because um, they tend to pay pretty well. Um, and also they're really nice to work with a lot of the time. Um, but I honestly, I don't remember even submitting my art to actual companies for quite a long time because I think I was just... This was really useful for me. I think I was pretty good at understanding where I was at in terms of my technical ability because I kind of, I did what a lot of people do and I'll, I'll have like, you know, an inspiration folder or something of the kind of work that I would love to do one day. And it was obviously full of like Carla Ortiz, Cynthia Shepard, Tyler Jacobson, Chris Ron, all of the people you would suspect. Um, and I absolutely love their work. Um, and there are still inspirations to me to this day, but at the time I was like, I know that I'm nowhere near this and I don't feel like there's much point submitting work to clients at the moment. Um, and I think the reason I kept to private commissions and then kind of moved on to smaller, like indie companies, I did a lot of work for like Kickstarters, um, cause they're all, they're always like, you know, it's like one or two people kind of doing it. Um, and that's really cool because they're usually, they're fellow creators. They really value what you're doing. They're like kind of more involved. They're, I, I don't know, they, they treat you pretty nicely. Um, whereas companies are kind of just, you know, a big, a big corporation and you're just kind of one of many. Um, so that was a pretty good experience. And 
it paid pretty reasonably um considering it wasn't you know a lot i i honestly don't i'm not sure how anyone when they're just starting out like on that in that first step it's very hard to make a living at that point um because the tabletop illustration industry just doesn't have a lot of opportunities there and i think keeping a day job or for me i was still doing freelance graphic design at the same time so that really allowed me to actually do that and not you know starve to death um but it's not something i could have lived on if it's all i was doing at all there's no way so yeah sorry that was a long-winded answer <laughs> no it's fine um if i can jump in um you said that you had a pretty reasonably objective understanding of your own capabilities um congratulations on that that's a difficult one how did you know when you were ready to start bumping it up a little bit and applying to i don't the next level you know like higher demand clients or yeah i think the first company i submitted art to was probably paizo um and i think honestly a combination of just the ability to, I, I did a lot of like, I took one of my paintings and put it next to a painting by someone who works with that client. And I'm like, okay, how close am I to, to this? Like generally speaking. So I had like a, I had a bit of an idea, but I also checked in with other people because I think that's really important. Sometimes you can't be objective about your own work to the degree that you need to. So I definitely had, at that point, I was lucky enough to kind of be really integrated in the community, have a lot of friends who would give me like really honest feedback, advice and stuff like that, which was like invaluable. Um, and a lot of them were like, yeah, I think you're fully ready for this. You should absolutely send your work in. What's the worst that can happen? And at that point, that's all I thought. I was just like, I, I haven't ever gotten too much of the anxiety associated with sending your work into a client um, because I kind of go in with the mindset that I don't expect to hear back. And so I don't really get disappointed in that way. And I don't know whether that's good, but it prevented me from like getting my hopes up and anxiously refreshing my email because I was just like, eh, I'm not really gonna expect anything. And that allowed me to like compartmentalize it a bit. Um, so I think, yeah. Um, and then eventually I think, yeah, it, it would have been Pizer probably that I worked with first. Um, and they're like, hey, like, we want to commission you for this. And like, cool. And that was really fun. And they were really nice to work with. Um, and then, uh, yeah, going from there, it was kind of the same thing. Like, honestly, even when I started submitting stuff to Magic, I would have my little collection of paintings that I thought were I thought were good. And then I'd go to my uh, friends who, it's really good to have people who are not scared to be honest with you. It's so, so valuable. Cause I'd go to them and be like, hey, here's my portfolio. What should I cut? What should I keep? And it's funny cause sometimes I'll be like, okay, you should cut this, this and this. And you're like, I thought they were good. <laughs> but like if, if enough people are saying the same thing, like if you ask a group of people out of these, 10 images, what should I cut? And all those people tend to say the same thing. I mean, that's a pretty good indicator. Um, and it, it's really helpful if you're kind of like, you know, if you're not sure. Um, and so I just did stuff like that, just like asked around and listened to people who were a lot more experienced than me and who were kind enough to take the time out of their day to actually help me out. Um, and yeah, I think that really helped. 
that sounds like the concept of like art mountain um where you start at what people consider to be the base which is you know open commissions for everybody and then your next step up is paizo or like fantasy flight or other lower tier um uh industry clients and i'm saying lower tier just because i know how much they pay and so <laughs> no um, <laughs> And then you go work for uh, Riot and Wizards and Blizzard, et cetera. And then after that, then you can actually start making like serious money. Do you think that there's uh, any legitimacy to that? Or was is that just stuff that was uh, in your head at the time? Um, I wasn't 100% sure of, like, I didn't have a ladder in my mind kind of to work up because I honestly wasn't super familiar with what companies were out there for tabletop specifically. Um, like some of the best companies that I've worked with in that kind of lower to mid tier, um, the mid tier is a weird one. That's the part where people struggle with, I think like the lower tier, if we're going to refer to it as that, um, it, it's pretty, like you can think of like off the top of your head it is, it's definitely stuff like Paizo, Fantasy Flight, all of those usual things, but like where to go from there is a weird one and it's like i'm not sure if there are as many options in the middle that pay good but like not as well as you know wizards valve etc whoever whoever else is paying well but there's not that many to be honest but anyway um but yeah it's it's interesting um some of them I didn't even know about um, until they contacted me um, and they were really like Cobalt Press was one who I really enjoyed working with. They got me to do some covers um, and they were kind of in that like middle tier section. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like I feel like I learned a lot about what companies were actually out there kind of as I went. So I didn't necessarily have like an idea in my head of how to kind of like climb that ladder um necessarily um i did know that wizards were among the highest paying clients out there but i didn't expect to work with them for a very long time so yeah did you uh work with them sooner than you expected or um yeah i mean not I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to like get an email from wizards being like, we want to try you out on commission and be like, yeah, I deserve this because imposter syndrome is like, bleh. but like, like the, you know, the, um, <laughs> the emotional part of me says, yes, it was way too soon. Oh my God. I'm tricking everyone. They've made a mistake. One day they're going to realize, but like, technically speaking, I think, I was competent enough to do that stuff. Like if I'm looking at it, especially looking back, it's easier looking back. Um, I can look at my work at that point and be like, yeah, I can see how they thought that I could possibly do this. Um, but I in no way felt entitled to that opportunity. I was like freaking out about it. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to ruin it. I'm going to mess it up. They were never going to hire me again. Um, but looking back, I think it's easier. The hindsight 2020 thing is real and you can go, yeah, I was ready for that. Like I wasn't super 100% confident and the art probably took me a lot longer than it does now because I was anxious and whatever. But um, yeah, yeah, hopefully that when, makes sense. It does. When you were talking about putting your pieces up next to you know, somebody from the arena that you wanted to be working in, I, that, uh, that sounded like a recipe for disaster to me. You know, when you were talking about uh, 
imposter syndrome like if i was to ever use that as a uh an indicator of like how close i am well i'd never get there because i'd be like no there's no way that i'm that good yet yeah you're not wrong it like i think i think i'm privileged in a way that i spent quite a lot of time working in graphic design and i got used to separating myself from my my art to a degree where i can kind of look at it like that and just be like you know this isn't my entire self-worth right here in front of me i'm i'm like gonna separate myself this is just it's work like it's it's the type of work that we're oh did we lose um yeah he forgot to mention that that happens sometimes it's oh that's okay (laughs) he's already he's already coming back no worries um yes um so oh gosh what was i saying my brain (laughs) well you were a graphic Um, artist and that kind of prepped you for having a objectivity yeah yeah i think it did really help um i think um graphic design it's easier to just think of it as work i think illustration uh, we're so weirdly intertwined with the stuff we do it's a lot more emotional i feel graphic design i never like cried myself to sleep because the client was like can we like change the kerning on this spot like i don't care it's just like it's you know and so i think like doing that for a while kind of prepared me for that i definitely still cried sometimes a bit dramatically, honestly, uh, but, you know, less maybe than I would have if I wasn't already used to working in a creative field and having to kind of hold myself away from that um, as a self-preservation thing. So it's still like I still look at my inspiration folders of all these artists who I love and go, I'm never going to get there. Oh, my God. Um, but it it doesn't it's not really disheartening to me because I think I've kind of figured out that. I don't like I don't have to get there. I don't have to like my artwork doesn't have to look like theirs or or even be as technically good as theirs for it to still have value in some place. Um and that's kind of enough. Like I still feel like I I feel really lucky to be doing what I'm doing even if I don't think any artist ever looks at their work and goes, "Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, it's as good as it's gonna get. We can all go home now. It's like that doesn't that doesn't really happen. Um, and all those artists that I look up to, and I'm like, oh my god, I'll never be as good as them. They feel that way too, and I know that. And I think, yeah, it's it's just one of those things that you kind of have to, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, recontextualize for yourself. It's it's actually making me think about something that I can't say that I've ever heard said explicitly but I, like, I wonder if there is a way to sort of manufacture that experience the, like, the way that artists can develop those kinds of calluses intentionally you know like going into a career of illustration going into a career where we might be a little bit more emotionally uh embedded in a, the artwork like is there something maybe that can happen where we take some steps and I, and I don't know, maybe it's like, go get a graphic design gig for a little while. I don't know. I'm sort of just like <laughs> riffing on a tangent here, but I'm just kind of just putting it out with the like thinking out loud, wondering like, hmm, that's, I don't know. I've never heard that before, <laughs> but it sounds like there's something there. A couple of things that come to mind just thinking of this is like, <laughs> the first one is... <laughs> do a job that's really, really boring that you don't care about, but it's making you money. So, um, you know, for me, 
that would be something like doing a bunch of really boring 2D assets for a sci-fi game. I have beyond zero interest in sci-fi. Fantasy is my jam. I love sci-fi content. I play sci-fi games. I hate drawing it. I don't know why. Um, but like, say it was a really good money maker. You kind of like, you kind of, you want to do a good job for the client. You want to do the stuff that they need for the game, but you're not going to be as like emotionally invested in it because it's not necessarily something you're super passionate about. It's a money maker, And I think that's fine to take those jobs that you don't, like you're not super excited about, that's fine. Like it's a job. Um, and I think I think that that's a really good mindset for artists to have, commercial artists to have, because, you know, there's a lot of nonsense that gets thrown around about how we shouldn't charge more because we're doing something that's fun anyway or that we're passionate about. And therefore, wh like, why are you being a sellout? Why are, you, <laughs> why are you monetizing this? And it's like, no, this is just a job. And the same with any other job, sometimes you're going to take on illustration work that you just, that you're not emotionally invested in. And that's absolutely fine. And I think taking those jobs does kind of help you create that separation as well. Um, that's kind of the first thing I would think. And I think that's something that happens organically for everyone. We all do those jobs at some point. It's just kind of a slog and it's just endless assets for something that you're just like, I'm never going to look at this stuff again. But like if the client's happy, that's all that matters. It pays well. Um, yeah. And I think the other thing that comes to mind when it comes to sort of helping people be able to create a separation there, as in just to get through the day, um, probably exposure therapy, uh, probably joining a bunch of really good honest feedback groups. Um, because I think when you when you're able to receive like not harsh but like honest and direct feedback about a painting and it doesn't hit you right in the chest anymore it it can be a bummer it can be like oh for fuck's sake i have to start sorry am i allowed to swear <laughs> okay <laughs> i'm australian good even. luck <laughs> um but yeah um i think that really helps and i would be interested i can't see chat right now but i'd be interested in what our lovely community who I assume are waddling around in chat right now would say about that. I feel that because we have a lot of, we do a lot of critique groups and feedback. Um, we have a lot of like work in progress channels. I think that that really helps like prepare you certainly for the industry, but also just like helps you realize that yes, this thing we're doing is so incredibly personal and emotional all the time, but it's still, it's, it is, just a job as well like the two things can coexist and yeah i don't know hopefully that makes sense uh, what you said about getting a job when you first said get a boring job i was thinking uh oh so you can draw while you're doing your boring job yeah. <laughs> different direction i mean that works too and i'm sure we've all done that um but yeah <laughs> i definitely did that the feedback the, uh, group oh sorry to interrupt i just want to say real quick the feedback group I think is would also be helpful for something that you mentioned in the midst of that, which was the um, sort of external imposition put on artists to believe that their work isn't valuable and they shouldn't charge. You know, it's like all all of this like nonsense from people that don't actually know what they're talking about, but artists start believing it because it's just everywhere that they see it. So yeah, a peer group, uh, a, a, a feedback group with your peers that can give you honest information about your artwork as well as mm -hmm. what you can or should be charging for. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad to see really open discussion about the money side of things happening more and more often lately. Um, I think that kind of transparency is something that like we're able to do as freelancers. We don't have a company being like, you're not allowed to disclose this. Like, uh, fuck off. We can tell whoever we want about any, any amount of money that we're making so that we all know like what the norm is or should be what the industry standards are. And I think those conversations weren't happening like even a few years ago. Um, but yeah, uh, it's another really valuable thing about having a peer group that is a combination of, you know, uh, say you're starting out, definitely have a bunch of peers who are at the same level as you, but also hopefully be able to talk to people who have been doing it for a lot longer. Um, I know a lot of artists are offering like paid mentorships at the moment, which is great because um, that gives you a lot of, you know, one-on-one -on -one time as well. Um, but yeah, it's good for all that stuff, really. Um, the other thing is that uh, Twitch is a great community in general for uh, artists. Like uh, your partner, Paul Canavan, he streams on Twitch and has a very uh, feedback-oriented community. Um, there's also uh, pretty much every streamer uh, has their own Discord channel or server. Yeah. <laughs> and most of them have a critique section. So take advantage of it. Absolutely. I fully agree. Oh my God. There's so many art discords now. It's great. Um, I mean, I, my whole Discord is just a million little buttons <laughs> full of art discords and they're all really good. Um, yeah. I'm really happy to see that. And I'm happy that the uh, Discord raised the maximum number of servers you could be part of. It used to be 100. Now it's more than that. So I'll oh, really? be a while before I fill that up. I haven't gotten to that many. Uh, sometimes I have to prune it because I'm like, when did I join this? Who are these people? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm just going to quietly leave. Um, but yeah, that, that's awesome there. It's really cool. My strategy is to, as soon as I join a server, mute it. Uh, turn off <gasps> notifications and yep. just sort it sort my thing by up the highest higher it up higher up it is the more priority is for me to check it and the lower it is the lower priority is for me to check it so that's my yeah. system that's absolutely what i do as well mute immediately i can't deal even the little red button like the little red with the numbers i'm like oh, it really stresses me out um but yeah and the noises like shouldn't even exist you know honestly because it, otherwise it'd be like bloop, 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 forever um but yeah the it's nice just knowing they're all there um, and they do have some different purposes. Like I'm definitely in a few that are more towards like game art and a few that are more illustration based. Some of them are more towards like beginning, like beginner artists and some are more kind of people who are professional, whatever. Um, it's just really nice to see. Um, we can shout out a few other ones. Uh, art Camp is one that is uh, hosted by uh, John Nymister, who I believe you know. Or um, Paul and Sam know? Art Corner is the one you're thinking Art Corner, of. yes. Of yeah, course. that one's great. I That one is, it's really, it's quite big at the moment, but the moderators are absolutely amazing. Um, and it's definitely worth having a look at if anyone is looking for a nice community. Um, yeah, that one's really nice. Um, I'm trying to think of there. I'm sure there's some other large kind of, it's funny because some of them are, completely open to the public and some of them you you kind of need to like message someone um and just ask for an invite but yeah um i think just you know looking around on twitter you're going to find a bunch of them it's usually you have to know somebody to get in uh for the private ones uh there's yeah. a creative lounge one that i didn't know existed until we had a guest that was on it 
and uh, guest on our podcast that was in that Discord. So, um, oh, cool, yeah. yeah. Um, and like hungry artists even had their own Discord. So that's about as open <laughs> as you can get. Not- that's awesome. <laughs> hungry artists is actually a pretty awesome Discord for as much as a, of a trash fire as the Reddit can be. Sometimes the Discord. Oh, really? Is, the Discord's pretty awesome. Yeah. I don't think I've been to that subreddit. What is it about? It's uh, it's supposed to be anybody can uh, advertise their works for you know, commission. What ends up happening though is because it's open to everybody, it ends up being a race to the bottom in prices. So it's like the person that does the best work for the least gets the most attention. Oh no, (laughs) guys, stop. (laughs) So it's like a bucket of crabs situation. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) Not good. So about like two years ago, we made an alternate, uh, alternative one that was like more, uh, towards, uh, professional artists. We it's r slash fantasy artists and we, uh, filter based on price. So you have to be charging at least $30 an hour and be charging no less than a hundred dollars per character in order to get your, uh, your application approved. So that's how that's we amazing. That's such a good idea. Like putting, uh, I've definitely had many conversations with artists where they would, even artists that I worked with who would quote me their rates. And I'd be like, can you like, can you, like bump it up a little bit? Can you like, <laughs> just, just boop that up a little bit because I can't work with you because I'd feel like an evil Disney villain. <laughs> like, and, and now for doing that, we get called the art mafia. That's as amazing. If, as, if, as if we do have some kind of control <laughs> over anything other than what we ourselves are charging. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, people get like mad about it. Like, oh, fucking elitist bastards. Um, but uh, <laughs> okay. I, I was um, I don't want to derail the, the, the discord conversation, but I, I was curious to follow up on uh, some of your your career work. Um, I, so before I forgot, I wanted to ask if was there any like was there an anticlimactic moment like when you did reach you know wizards of the coast and riot and blizzard and then you're looking around and you're like uh okay well, uh, what now <laughs> um there's a definite period where you're kind of you feel like you're plateauing uh both in terms of career progression and like technical ability progression or whatever Um, I think that's kind of inevitable. And I feel like something that's really important to do to avoid that feeling kind of getting to you is just to have a ton of really lofty goals um, that extend beyond work with Magic, work with Blizzard, work with Riot, whatever whatever you want to do. Because, like, some people get there and they're absolutely psyched that's all they need. They want to stay there forever. And that's amazing. If you're one of those people who who have this really specific dream job that is everything you want and will always be everything you want, that's amazing. And that that's like that's the dream right there. Um, but I've noticed that for a lot of artists, they kind of put these jobs, like these dream jobs on like a pedestal. And then once they get there, they're kind of like, oh, like the highs I get from this are kind of a diminishing returns thing. And this thing that I like, you know, hyped up so much in my mind has, is in fact, shockingly, just a job 
it's a cool job when you get to you get to work on properties that you're really passionate about, that you love, that you you play the games, whatever. But it still is a job, and a lot of people kind of get there. I've heard a lot of people talk about this, where they're kind of like, okay, what now? Like, what else do I do? Um, and I think like there, I think some people kind of just make sure they do like a lot of personal art in their spare time, and that kind of keeps them going. I think a lot of people eventually move on to create their own IPs. I think that's that seems to be very common. There's a lot of independent artists who are just on Patreon who are just making stuff for themselves and that's how they make a living. And that I think that's amazing. Um, really, any way you go, I think it's just a matter of being aware when you start feeling a little bit stagnant and just remembering that you can always create new goals for yourself. For me... Um, I, I definitely, once I figured out that I wasn't going to work for Blizzard because I can't paint in their style to save my life. Um, and I, and I also don't really want to live in America right now. Um, but like, <laughs> not that I, I don't even know if I would have, if I dedicated my life to painting the Blizzard style, I have no idea if I would ever have been good enough. Um, but there are a number of reasons why I didn't throw myself into pursuing that and I'm glad that I didn't because I ended up doing stuff that I think I'm like probably a little bit better at um but when I kind of realized I wasn't going to work for them which probably would have disappointed teenage Alicia uh to hear but nonetheless um I still didn't go I definitely I had the clients I wanted to work for like I loved magic art I started playing the game and started getting into like the lore and stuff like that um, pretty much I'm not very good at the game. All I do is just get like the cards that I think are pretty um, <laughs> and make like a unicorn deck or a wolf deck. And my friend's like, that deck is terrible. You're not going to win any games. And I'm like, why won't you let me live my life? I need this. Look at the wolves. Look at the woofers. Um, so that's how I play Magic. But like, yeah, I definitely, I was like, yeah, I really want to work for Wizards. But like, I hear... I hear how fun it is to work for them. I hear how fun it is to do the concept pushes. Um, I really like the perks that come with it. You can do a lot of events. You can sell a lot of merch. Um, the fans are really enthusiastic. And yeah, and I, I really wanted to work for them. But it wasn't the only thing I ever wanted to do. Like, um, I definitely had a bunch of ideas in my mind for creating my own setting. Um, I did get to do a lot of that with Humblewood, which is fantastic. I really have no idea what else I'm going to do. I just, I kind of have too many directions that I could go. Um, I'd love to make a video game. Um, I'd love to make a book. I don't know. But yeah, I definitely have a bunch of things that I just want to do, like kind of for me. Um, and I think that's going to be enough to kind of keep me, to keep me from like feeling like I'm stagnating or anything like that. Um, and at the same time, I love working with Magic and D&D because contributing to those properties is really meaningful to me because I've become like quite involved with that community um, and I really appreciate what those what like tabletop does for people. I love the community. It's a lot nicer than gaming. <laughs> so yeah, a lot more diverse and welcoming, um, mostly. So yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I know that uh, you are mostly a uh, digital artist. Are you entirely a digital artist or do you also do traditional? I am entirely, well, 
I can like I can draw if I want to. If I, I can do like uh like I'm fine with pencils. I'm fine with you know um stuff like that. Ink is fine. I really I haven't painted physically for a long time. I would love to get back into it. So right now I would call myself just 100% digital just because I'm too lazy to sit down and do Inktober or have a sketchbook. I've <laughs> I've like kind of never kept a sketchbook. Um which I feel really guilty about. Um <laughs> but I just I don't know I don't know what it is. I just can't. I I have like a stack of them that are brand new and very pretty but I never use them. Um so yeah, just digital. Uh, I do really want to learn how to do traditional. I would love to make original magic art. That would be fantastic. And yeah, I might put some time aside to do that um, at some point. I, I don't know. Oils make me have a headache though, so I'll probably try and do acrylics or gouache or something. Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Jesper Ising also has a good... Um tutorial on how he uses acrylics for his painting he has a an airbrush that he just uses water in so he can wipe away uh recent paint real quick oh wow he's amazing he's yeah. and it's such a lovely person as well like oh i absolutely love his art it's so like it's so unique um yeah i i would definitely have a look at that I've, i'm pretty sure i've bookmarked that tutorial <laughs> for for when i eventually learn how to paint how to do real painting not pretend fake painting um but yeah right. fake but uh the uh, <laughs> i know the magic community has a very strong collector um audience where um like on their facebook group they'll sell for uh tens of thousands of, of dollars per piece and then thousands of dollars or like one thousand dollars for a sketch so if you were interested in have you ever uh done a sketch for your magic card and then sold that on the secondary market <laughs> Um, the only time I've ever done a physical sketch was when I was like, <laughs> I was living out of, I was living in a hotel. I, I had a whole, a whole time for, for like, we were moving around constantly for like a couple of years. It was a crazy situation. Um, but I was in a hotel. I didn't have, uh, my Wacom because it, I don't remember what happened. It might've been like in boxes. For some reason it was not there. Maybe it broke. They tend to break sometimes when you really need them the most. The little connecty thing stops working. That's a fun one to deal with. I'm actually really glad that I have like this, sorry, I'm getting on a tangent, but I have the new one that has this, my tablet's gross, ignore that. It has this new connector um, that's like a sideways one and it doesn't break every two seconds. So this is great. If anyone has that issue, the new ones are better just as a Which one just is that? as a tip. It, this is just a Intuos Pro and I think it's the medium one. Um it's all grotty because I use it as a plate for chips. Anyway, um but yeah, <laughs> the the little connecty USB thing for the older versions would constantly like wiggle and fall out. I'm pretty sure that's what happened and I was like, "Cool." I have magic sketches due, but that's fine. Thanks, Wacom. Good stuff. Uh, and so what I did was I think I like got some paper and like pencils and I did my sketch for the uh, cryptic trilobite, I think it's called. Um, the weird, uh, you know, the, 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 I don't know if you guys have seen it, uh, but it's, it looks like a trilobite. Um, and I did the sketches for that and then like for, <laughs> took a photo with my iPhone, like here are my sketches. 
Um, and shockingly, they approved one of them. Um, and then I just like threw them away. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, these are these suck. Yeet <laughs> threw them in a bin. Um, and then later on, I'm pretty sure I told someone about that, and they were like, what? You threw them away? Uh, so I'm, if I do that again, I'm uh, I won't throw them away, and I will. Also, I just like didn't realize that people would buy that stuff. Um. People buy color studies. They'll buy uh, value studies. They'll buy the thumbnails. They'll buy the, the sketches and then the alternative sketches, and they'll buy the final <laughs> sketch. So yeah, each of those things is a, it's his own thing. <laughs> I feel really bad. It's like maybe someone found them in the bin and they were like, "Hmm, <laughs> weird bug drawing. This must be expensive." <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it, yeah. It, I feel a bit guilty for that. Um, but it's fun to tell people about it, especially if they're collectors. It's like, haha, I threw that one away. <laughs> they get so no. upset. <laughs> but yeah, I should start doing sketches like traditionally because, um, yeah, that would be nice to have like a little physical something that people can buy, even if, I, even if the painting itself is digital. So maybe I'll do that. I don't know. I'm a bit lazy with this stuff, but yeah. <laughs> Well, it's the idea. The idea is out there if you want to do it, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, Joby, do you have any other follow questions before we move on? Uh, about eating French fries off of a Wacom tablet? I... That sounds like a good idea to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Chips are not French fries. They are what, I guess, America... Well, I don't know if America... English people call them crisps. If there are any Australians in chat right now, they're gonna hopefully Laura's there, she'll back me up. Chips are crisps. Chips are also hot chips, aka fries. And uh I I'm not eating hot chips off my way comment. I'm not an animal, okay? <laughs> they're definitely just the potato chips that come in a bag. Okay. That's why it's greasy and gross, <laughs> sir. Well that, that that ties into one of the questions that we had, which I think would be interesting at this point. Um if you could talk to your younger self and you had oh, advice <laughs> for them <laughs> oh <laughs> what would you uh what would you like to say to that person about art or like career art. career <laughs> okay. uh how to treat your materials and your equipment no i'm just kidding. okay okay i mean we'll stick to art because that's a little easier because otherwise it would be an essay um I oh, I would probably say like it's that's a hard question and it's one of those questions that's probably really common and lots of people know how to answer and I'm just like drawing a blank. Um I, I'd probably I'd probably tell them to like do a lot of art from reference immediately instead of trying to draw shit from your head because it's going to look really bad and it's going to make you feel like not doing this like i'd probably just be like look just sit down look at a thing then try and draw the thing because no one really tells you that at first which is weird because it seems very obvious um so yeah I, i'd probably do that because i think if i started doing that like 10 years ago i maybe might be a little bit better than i am now because i probably would have had a bit of a head start um so yeah, so that's a really boring answer. Like use reference, uh, but yeah, it would have saved me a lot of time and energy. So I, I respectfully disagree. It's a, a, not a boring answer, and I think it's important to hear because that's just, along along with uh, 
the evils of charging a, a fair price. The evils of using reference is another uh, trope that you hear prodded out every now and then. And, and anything that we can do to shoot both of those down is good. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Art purists are like, oh, you think, oh, why would you use reference? Like, dude, like, go back to the Renaissance. They're all using reference. They've got a, like, yeah, it's sort of photo, but like, they're literally making someone stand there and they're looking at it while they draw it. I don't really see how that's different. Um, but the yeah, ca the camera obscura was pretty close to a camera. <laughs> yeah um yeah yeah it's it's a weird one um the references cheating thing is uh, it whenever i see it it's hilarious i'm seeing it very very occasionally these days which is good but yeah um yeah i don't know <laughs> i think the most i hear now is like the most valid argument i hear against it is uh, it makes them stiff up right because they're uh they want to do the gesture and they want to have all that energy and when they mm -hmm. start with the reference, then they lose that energy. And that's fair. I can, I can appreciate that. For sure. Um, I recently uh, did a painting using really quite minimal reference and it came out better than I thought. And that tends to happen when, because I get, I get all in my head when I do, especially for magic work, because I get so anxious about doing it well. Um, I get all like, okay, I need reference for every single part of this image. And it's like, dude, you know what a giraffe looks like. Maybe just try and draw it. And it's like, no, I must get a million. And then we have to be in the right pose. And it's like hard finding a giraffe. I've never painted a giraffe for magic or at all. But let's just say, um, yeah, I, I'm like, okay, I need to find like you know, 100 different pictures of this animal. And it's like, you've seen this animal. Like, give yourself like a little bit of credit and just try and i and i recently did and every time i do just try first it goes better than i think it's gonna go so it's an interesting i think it's a good exercise to like sometimes ditch the reference just do a sketch from your head and then you can just like fix it later like i definitely got to a point where i was like okay i've hit a brick wall with some areas of like this creature and i need to look at photos now just to make sure that i'm like on the right track but um yeah it's weird it's it, it there's you can definitely go too far the other way where you're kind of like a slave to reference and things do feel stiff and like weird like posed like too perfect um so yeah for sure i think uh one we usually don't go th this far into a uh, technique but i think it's uh something i actually know and i'm proud that i actually know something um <laughs> when you uh, practice from reference and you like do di two different angles of it and then the third time you do it from imagination so that you can both uh, practice your observational skills and then learn something from it and then apply what you learned. Yeah. I, I've seen so many people do that exercise. It's really interesting. Um, and it's definitely a good one. Um, I, I have a weird, I guess I kind of do that just kind of like incidentally um, because I'll, I'll often start looking at reference and then I'll kind of like, once I relax into it, I'll stop looking at the reference so often and I'll kind of just, you know, extrapolate. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's definitely a good one. So one of the main reasons we brought you on is we, we, we make no, uh, uh, we don't, uh, let me think about it. We're rather open about why we bring people on. And uh, mm -hmm. it's usually to answer questions that our friends have. And if we figure if it's useful for our friends, then it's going to be useful for a lot of other people as well. And we have uh, several friends that are making uh, tabletop RPG supplements. And we think 
you know, Humblewood is like one of the most successful ones of all time, if not the most successful one. And mm -hmm. when we think of Humblewood, we think of the amazing art in it. So it made only uh, sense to bring you on to talk about the art. Um, so we're going to transition into Humblewood. Uh, mm -hmm. How did you get involved in the project? Was this uh, like your baby and uh, from the ground up and you said, hey, guys, let's make this? Or were you brought on by uh, someone that said, hey, Alicia Hannigan, she draws draw, uh, amazing, cute animals and this is the cute <laughs> animal game. So we need her. So this is a little bit of a long winded story. So bear with me. Um, so first of all, what happened was I was drawing an owl and then I made, I was just sketching a little owl. I was like, oh, I'm going to draw him as a knight. Ha ha, knight owl. Ha ha, I'm so clever. I was like 3 a.m. or something. Um, and then I posted it online and I got quite a nice reception. People like cute stuff. It, it tends to do well on the internet. Um, and then uh, I also did a couple other little... I did a kingfisher and he was fishing. I'm so clever and hilarious. <laughs> like, I've never, no one's ever thought of that before. Um, but yeah, I, I did a little kingfisher, a little fishing. And then I did a pigeon wizard. That's not a pun. Embarrassingly, there's no pun. But um, he was like conjuring bread because pigeons like bread. Uh, my sense of humor is very sophisticated um but i did those i did like these little sketches of like these little bird characters like doing their thing like rpg characters um and then um rico um from hit point press um they uh i've actually worked with them before on the deck of many um they're lovely and they they treat their artists really well they pay really well it was just like a pleasure to work with but he reached out to me and he's like hey like we really like uh, these little bird characters that you're doing lately. Um, would you like to make just, um, would you like to make a deck of reference cards um, kind of like based on this theme? And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Cause um, yeah. We, and it was literally just meant to be like a small deck of reference cards that you could use in whatever RPG game. Um, really not a big project, just a little, just a little thing. Um, and then somehow along the way, like we, we had like a meeting, we drew up the contract and we started, you know, we started doing the reference cards and it just kind of grew accidentally. So like at first it's like, okay, we've got, I I'm, don't know what the numbers are in my head. I I've, I'm, don't remember things like that, but I just, let's just say there's like five NPCs. There was like five monsters. There was, two, there was two boss monsters. There was this, and we just kept adding stuff. It was like, wait a second, what about this idea? And they're like, yeah, let's put it in. And then we're like, yeah, let's put this in too. And we ended up with this like really big like arsenal of little animal NPCs, animal creatures, monsters and stuff. And then we're like, we just do a whole ass setting. Um, and we kind of did. And so we really didn't plan on it at all. It just kind of happened because I guess along the way, I don't know we just ended up with so much content and we we're just like we should like, just make this into a setting um because it was originally the reference card was going to come with like, a little booklet like little one with like like a little bit of side quests little bit, like you know and then it turned into a whole last book um so it was a it was an interesting journey um because I fell into the role of art director without really meaning to um I was literally just meant to illustrate this like little deck of cards 
and then ended up art directing working with like over 20 different artists I'm pretty sure for this book um and then we we had a fantastic team we had um a couple of amazing writers um everyone who's like doing game design um as a very small team of people if you're not including the many artists who contributed um just like the core team very small um and yeah it just kind of like snowballed and got bigger and more extensive and then when we started putting putting together the kickstarter we started adding on more and more content even then so kind of like like dlc or you know extra extra content extra side quests um and yeah it just kind of blew off out of control um and we did a surprisingly good job with it considering that we didn't plan on doing that at all um we were like we were using teamwork to organize all our tasks um we hired people to do stuff where where necessary um i didn't handle any of the manufacturing side of things my team did all that stuff and they're amazing at it um and i wouldn't have the faintest clue how to do any of that um but yeah it it was like a whole journey that we didn't really plan on um but i'm really glad that it happened how it did so yeah how long did you work on it like before the kickstarter and how long did you work on it after the kickstarter Hmm. So, oh, what is time? Um, a good like few months before the Kickstarter, and then during the Kickstarter, we were also doing a lot of production. Um, and then after, because everyone hit all the stretch goals, I'm like, okay, cool. Now we have to do all this stuff. No, it was really exciting. Um, and we were just overjoyed. Um, but it did mean obviously that it extended the amount of time we'd be spending on that project because suddenly we we had all this stuff that we needed to hire more artists for because no one else could take on more work um there was a lot of task management involved um and yeah it it, it threw a lot of us in the deep end i think um but we got through it really well and i'm really proud of us for that um <laughs> it was a lot it was a lot of correspondence with many different artists for me um a lot of reaching out to people uh, keeping track of everyone's different rates because we didn't do the thing where we're, we're like, we pay this much for this. Like we actually talked to each artist, um, asked what their rates were for, you know, uh, character, no background, character with background, uh, prop, a, uh, an environment scene, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it was a lot to keep track of, but I think it was worth it uh, because the artists were happy and, and we got to feel good for, you know, um, letting people work for the amount of money that they need to be alive. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, it was, it was a lot. <laughs> you said a, a, a few months before the, the Kickstarter. Is that from, I'm sorry if I missed this before, was that from inception of the idea to Kickstarter was only a few months? So I should really look at my email and figure this out because it was, mm, because again, the project completely changed a few times. So it's hard for me to like think like, wh when was the beginning of this thing? Um, it would have been, I think we were working on it for like, it would have been around like a year. Uh, but the main, the main chunk of time that I would associate with art production would have been maybe between two to four months. Um, and it all happened in that period. And that's what's going to happen for Humblewood 2 as well. We've kind of designated this chunk of time that's for 
art production specifically. Um, but outside of that time, the writers are going to be working their asses off um, and, you know, all the manufacturing stuff is going to be in the works. Um, so, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. We've, <laughs> hopefully that makes sense. Um, it's a bit of a, it's a weird timeline for me to look back on because it's all over the place. Um, and there was, there was like, there was some start, there was some like pauses where like one of like one of the writers had to go away and then someone had to come back and then we had like, yeah, uh, Humblewood 2 is going to be way more streamlined. Um, we are already started work on it and it's, it's really nice and relaxing because we know what we're doing now and we've like, you know, actually got a schedule. Um, so yeah, if you ask me that question about Humble 2, I'll be like, well, we started work on this date on this month and then we finished. And, but like Humblewood 1 is like about a year, uh, art production took two to four months. Um, but then we also, after the Kickstarter, did additional artwork for the new content. Um, and also for the free RPG day. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the adventure with, it was like pirate themed. Um, and there was like a big sea monster in it um, and Dark did the cover for that absolutely fantastic um, and so we did we did a lot of stuff kind of after that um, and we started a comic like a web comic that is also going to be physical as well um, and stuff like that so it it's it's kind of an ongoing thing um, but yeah yeah sorry <laughs> it's it's hard to give a straight answer for that one sure totally understandable <laughs> um so you did amass like a, a team of artists like about 20 contractors right how did you uh put this all together uh as a first-time art director right without going crazy <laughs> <laughs> um well <laughs> the sanity was never really there to begin with and that helped um but uh basically um before we decided to just make a whole setting um we were still doing the reference cards and i was like oh we should have a couple guest artists for fun for for like special edition cards and then as the project expanded i was like well we're gonna need to get more guest artists and then the, it, it stopped being guest artists and just started being other artists who would work on it um and yeah um and the process for that was basically I am very lucky to know a lot of people in the community. I'm lucky to have worked with a few people on the same projects before um, or have been following their artistic journey for many years and like have a lot of really good friends. And a lot of it was reaching out to people who I knew personally, but a lot of it was also reaching out to people who I'd just been following their work and hadn't had a chance to talk to them yet. Um, and yeah, and we kind of, uh, you know, it was a lot of me just, mostly emailing people. Sometimes they didn't have an email address on their website. <laughs> I had to DM them. Artists are really fun to try and contact. <laughs> um, P.S. Uh, all artists out there definitely just have a website. And like, I know the contact form is cool, but, and you can have that, but also put your email, just put your, just put it, just put it there. I have that on my website. This is the stupid contact form is there, but I'm also like, email me here. Just do that. It'll make us very happy. Um, but yeah, it was just sort of reaching out to people being like, hey, we're doing this project. Um, here's some of the artwork for it that's on already to give you an idea of the tone. Um, would you be interested in doing some illustrations for this? And pretty much everyone was very excited to work on it because like it's a cute little animals and stuff. And I, I very specifically reached out to people who I 
you would enjoy that. Um, and it was, I don't know, I was really happy that people really wanted to work on it. Um, and yeah, and then for each person, um, I'm aware that I probably went to, well, I had the privilege of being able to talk to people independently and kind of make sure that they had briefs that they would enjoy. I don't think people working for larger companies have that much, like have that ability because they're probably managing so many tasks at once. But um, I was able to kind of, I had like a list of, you know, 40 pieces of art that we needed or something like that. And they were broken up into categories. It was like props, characters, um, full scenes, um, monsters, etc. And so what I would do for each artist was I would make sure to give them like a selection of briefs. Um, so like either one or two or like sometimes if they got in early, I'd be like, here's a whole list of these things. Tell me what appeals to you. Um, and that was really cool because it meant that people got to kind of choose what they wanted to do and they really, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and that's not something that I've ever really gotten to do working with other sort of similar properties. Um, and so I was really happy to be able to do that. And I'm going to continue trying my best to do that with Humblewood too as well. Um, and the thing is like, it was a lot more work that way. Uh, it would have been way easier for me to just dish out briefs and just be like, here's what you're doing, have fun. But like taking that extra effort, even though it was a headache to like, <laughs> I had a whole spreadsheet um, to keep track of people. I think like on the other side of that, the artists, they had so much positive feedback for us, like as a company. Um, and it honestly was so worth it. Um, and like also the art they made was awesome. And I think like if you're enjoying yourself, you're going to make awesome art. Um, and so that was, it was really cool. Um, but yeah. And uh, so that, that's kind of how that worked. Um, and um, in terms of like how managing the task worked, it was pretty standard. Like it was, you know, submit sketch, color sketch, final. And then, you know, after that, we will do feedback if we need to um like the, that was rare that usually happened at sketch phase but yeah it was it was really good um everyone did a really good job it was great there was a a mix of artists of skill different scale levels in this project like uh crystal scully of course is like an amazing artist people know her from other tabletop rpg projects um mm -hmm. but then there was also like more junior artists or lesser known artists like uh john derrick murphy our mutual friend um mm -hmm. Uh, was it intentional to mix the uh, the senior and junior unknown and known for this project? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was really cool actually because we got I got to work with people who, like, I'm amazed even took the time to work with us. Like a lot of a lot of magic artists who I know like they were very busy um, and you know and like and you get a little bit of like. Like, there's like people I'm friends with, but I'm still like a little bit like, oh, I'm such a fan of their work. And I'm just like, oh, they want to work with me. Uh, and then they did. And I was like, oh, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it was really cool because we got a lot of experienced artists, but also a lot of people who like I've been kind of following their art for a while. And I'm like, this person has so much potential, um, but they don't seem to be doing client work. They there's a lot of people who I'll see them post like, oh full body character sketch for $50. And I'm like, oh my God, uh, stop. 
but like you know and like that's fine if they're doing that but it's just uh, some people get to that point where they could be charging so much more they're they're obviously above a particular skill level um and they've just they've obviously leveled up and they're just like maybe they don't know that they've leveled up or something um but yeah there were there was a handful of people who said that we were their first client which was so cool and I was I, I didn't actually know that but I was like oh that's amazing um and they just went above and beyond and they totally kicked us and yeah um it was really cool like it was such a it was such a rewarding thing for me um I had an art director before this and just being able to make sure that I gave people opportunities that I knew would help them to have in their portfolio um but also just like some people work really well when they're given a bit of direction um some people are great just winging it but I know for me I I really love direction sometimes um it really helps me and I just I got some really good feedback from people um about that side of things and I don't know it was really cool it was it was awesome that um like some some you know baby artists who just who didn't have that many people following them on Twitter, they'd post their art, they'd use the hashtag, and then everyone was like, you know, showering with them with likes and stuff because they did such a good job and it was just, it was just really lovely. Um, yeah. So uh, I desperately want to ask how much you paid these artists, but I'm going to refrain unless you actually want to venture that out. But, <laughs> um, how much would you uh, suspect a, um, an artist at the skill level should be charging their companies? So depends on uh, what they're doing. So um, for, oh, should I wait for him to come back? No, no <laughs> he'll be back. He'll be back um, soon. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, yeah, so pricing depends on what you're doing. Uh, obviously, a full scene is going to cost a lot more than just a character. Um, so I, I kind of have a list of things where I ask for prices. Um, so it kind of depends um, if an artist is at the level where they're ready to do work for properties like Hollywood, there's a lot of them out there. Um, or I don't know, uh, some of them in my head are um, like Cats and Catacombs is a great project um, that I actually did a couple pieces for the lovely people who made that one. Um, and uh, there's a bunch of those kind of things. And I think if you're ready to work with clients like that, Definitely, I would say don't, I wouldn't go under like a thousand US dollars for a full scene. Um, and if it's a very involved full scene, keep that in mind. Um, I will very occasionally, probably not anymore, but um, a couple of years ago, I might've gone down to like 800 if it was something I really wanted to do. And if it was something super, within my comfort zone um and that's kind of that's kind of a individual decision that no one can make for you but um i just think about 1k is a good starting point um and yeah uh i i would not go too far below that um and so by full painting full piece i mean environment character or two if there's a ton of characters definitely charge more that's going to take ages um and you know yeah like the the whole like a whole scene um as a starting point um i would say characters without a background um kind of depends i would say like 
between between like 200 and 500 is okay like it, it, again it depends on it depends on what you're doing and how complicated it is um but that's let's if that's kind of an okay range um it depends also how fast you are i'm very slow at painting some people can just like get them all done really quickly and and they can make it profitable so that's again something so that's why i'd say a ballpark rather than like one figure for that kind of stuff um but yeah and you say that irregardless of what an artist might have on their resume so uh, it, leaving out the fact that they may or may not have done you know work beforehand on a humble wood or you know something similar that's still something that, that, you know, that they can feel comfortable charging, even though they don't have like the prestige behind them to say like, yes, uh, people pay me for that already. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I think having certain clients on your resume is super valuable. Um, I also think if your work is good and you have only ever done private commissions, absolutely charge that anyway. It, it's uh, it's like time. Time is time is like the time spent on something um i don't know if you break it down to an hourly rate it's going to be the same for everyone i can see how some people having worked with certain clients could charge more just because it's like well i've worked on this you know i'm probably going to do a good job etc absolutely but i still think the, the kind of the baseline shouldn't really change just because you haven't necessarily worked with clients some people don't work with clients on purpose like i know a lot of artists who are incredibly skilled and very experienced who don't work with clients and they make that choice for a reason so i yeah i i think it just should be kind of the same baseline yeah the weird thing is that private clients tend to pay better than companies anyway yes they do <laughs> our industry is broken um yeah this is a thing i i've done i've gone off on so many rants about because i think it's like a little bit ridiculous um i also don't really know how particularly we can go about changing it because it we're like in a weird a freelance it's like a kind of global industry no one like it, it's really hard to organize those kind of changes um but yeah it it's weird i've definitely early on when i was kind of struggling to get consistent work um private clients would often pay me so much more than the huge companies that own huge ips and have jillions of dollars and capitalism is not the best um but yeah <laughs> yeah um there are uh individuals out there who will pay two thousand dollars for a magic artist to uh just paint their character their dnd character for them right because yeah they have the name behind it and they know that it's gonna be good or they can also if they know the person uh from social media or whatever they think this guy's worth it then they'll pay the $2,000. We have the uh, K-shape recovery coming out of the pandemic. So some people just you know, made six times as much money last year than they had in their entire life prior to that. So they have the money to burn. Sounds weird, but that's the way it wor worked out. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, and obviously like the, <laughs> the recent edition of NFTs have kind of shaken things up a bit. I'm sure you guys have had a lot of discussions about that recently. Um, I, and I don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily want to dive into that because I'm, <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just a lot um something to kind of keep a wary eye on i think um not something i'll be delving into uh i i understand why people are doing it though and it's because i mean 
yeah, it's a rough industry. It's hard. Like we're in this weird space where companies are paying less than individuals. Why is that happening? Like companies that can afford to pay so much more. Um, I get why people are turning to these kind of alternatives. Uh, there's a lot of issues with it, obviously, but yeah, I get it. And um, I also get why people choose to not work with clients and go independent because I know a lot of artists are making a lot of money on Patreon and just doing their own thing and probably making more than they would ever make working for any of these clients. So yeah, it's a weird territory, for sure. Um, so while we're talking about uh, weird amounts of money, uh, Humblewood, the Kickstarter, made a million dollars. So that means <laughs> you made a million dollars personally, right? Oh yeah, that's how everything works. <laughs> uh, but seriously, uh, with that huge success, it becomes difficult for uh, people like us on the outside to actually know how much of an impact this had on uh, your career, like as far as your financials of your, your career. Um, it, most tabletop RPG artists would love to be involved in a project like uh, Humblewood, but they don't actually know what the take home would be from that. Um, was it just another job for a few months or was it some, like a, the payout substantial, more substantial? Um, so again, the first time around, we didn't know it was going to be as big as it was. We had no idea it would hit 1 million. That was amazing. It completely blew us away. We were like in shock for like days. Um, it was, yeah, an amazing experience um, and very humbling. Uh, but yeah, um, because it was something that was kind of evolving along the way, um, it was kind of just, it was kind of just another job. Like it was definitely, um, you know, uh, I would personally charge kind of per piece as normal. Um, so however many illustrations I did for the book, kind of charge per piece and then I would also have an hourly rate for art direction on top of that um and that's kind of as far as it went because yeah it, it blew up really suddenly and we didn't really have anything in place beyond that like the contract was quite quite like straightforward um I it might be a little bit different for Hollywood too because we know what the scope is going to be this time um but yeah it was yeah it was weird we were all kind of scrambling to like adapt and evolve with the project the whole time um but yeah the the kickstarter paid for all the manufacturing and all the all the art and everything i i i'm not really involved in the financial side of this stuff um <laughs> but i know that uh yeah my team works incredibly hard they manage all of that side of things um and they certainly know what they're doing with that and i think all of their work getting that together is why the product is such a high quality and yeah i it probably was extremely expensive i can imagine and it allowed us to do all the extra content hit all the stretch goals and kind of continue we have we have a lot of things in the making that i can't like talk about yet <laughs> so i'm like <laughs> um but uh i'm really excited to um but yeah it it yeah it kind of it kind of went back into the project essentially for the most part uh but again that's not something that i manage um i yeah it was very much it it wasn't that different to a work for hire contract if that makes sense for me so yeah So uh, you had many other people on the team, as you mentioned. Uh, 
and they were like the writers as well. Like, do you have any idea of how much experience the rest of the team had? Um, so the guys behind the deck of many have been doing what they do for quite a long time, which is like making products for like magic players, a lot of like, like things like deck boxes. Um, they've done reference cards before they've done, they've done these amazing spell cards that are like holographic and like, and they're animated. It's so cool. I don't know how they do it. Uh, but they got an animator and worked with them to make these spell cards that like when you move them, they animate. It's so cool. Uh, but they do all sorts of things like that and they've been doing it for quite a while. Um, I think Humblewood was certainly one of the larger projects that they ended up kind of, again, accidentally doing. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they seem to, they very much know their stuff and have been working with that community for such a long time. The writers, I'm not 100% sure how much they've done. I have a feeling they were relatively new, um, but they did a really good job. Um, we had a couple of different writers actually. Um, so again, I'm not 100% sure like how many other products they've shipped or whatever, however writers say it. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I think they were relatively kind of new. Um, but everyone else involved, they'd definitely been doing it for quite a while so or they've you know they've done other kickstarters they've been doing a lot of like product design stuff um so yeah they they very luckily knew what they were doing because i would have no idea where to start with that stuff <laughs> so i'm thinking uh what i'm trying to get to here is that like this the scope of this project seems a bit overwhelming like for like the individual artist out there who has a background in playing uh, tabletop, tabletop rgs tabletop rpgs i can say it um <laughs> Uh, it's a bit overwhelming. Like there's so many, uh, so much to do that even compete with Humblewood to even get to, to hopefully get to the one million dollar mark. You know, and have their hopes and dreams come true. Uh, so if you were to consider like making a smaller scope project out on your own with a smaller team, how would you scope out the project to make it something that like you can manage? Um, I'd probably hire a producer or someone because I think. <laughs> It's very appealing to like do it all yourself, um, but I really liked working with other people. Um, unless it was something that was incredibly personal, I would, yeah, I'd look for someone who knew how to do that stuff uh, to take some of the load off. I think one of the things I really learned how to do was kind of delegate and understand my limits and my capacity. Um, it's something I'm still learning because I have a tendency to take on too much work all the time. But um, yeah, it, th that was really valuable. So I think I would look for someone who'd done something similar um, and sort of just develop a small team of people, um, hopefully people I know. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'd work with anyone who I don't know um, for that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, and then for artists, like if I was hiring a bunch of artists, kind of the same deal as before, um, just reaching out to people who have really good work. Um, for Humblewood, it was a lot of like, scouring the internet for creature artists who might not be as noisy on social media. Um, Cause obviously when you think creature art, you're going to think of the same people as everyone else um, who, you know, who are very good at marketing themselves and posting their art everywhere. But there are so many people out there who like aren't at the forefront who are like kind of just like lurking. Um, so I definitely spent a lot of time doing that as well. Um, and I did a few threads on Twitter being like, Hey, I'm looking out for creature artists, like Chris yourself earlier. And those threads blew up like crazy. 
but I discovered so many artists through that. So I'd probably do a lot of that kind of stuff um, if I was looking to build a team. Um, similarly, like I, we needed to voiceover for the Kickstarter video um, and I reached out to voice, like uh, voice actors for that, which I've never done before. And I did it on Twitter as well. And that thread, there was so many, oh my God, that was, that was probably in retrospect, not the best idea because uh, I couldn't keep up with it. But so many people, and they're all so incredibly talented. Um, and that was a real journey. Um, we ended up actually working with Erica Ishii uh, for the voiceover for that. Um, and she was absolutely fantastic. Um, but yeah, that was like, it was a really interesting experience for me kind of, being on the other side of like the the like hiring reaching out to people thing um but yeah i think it would be that kind of kind of like have a have a bunch of check boxes be like okay we need a person to do this we need a person to do this and just kind of go down the list and do a lot of research and ask around and stuff yeah we have a question in chat uh where would you look for a producer oh fuck <laughs> um i would probably mm, i don't know like I'd have to ask around because that's the kind of position that I'm, I'm just not super familiar with. I'd probably ask, like, ask people if they've worked with anyone for something like that. I guess it depends also on what I'm making and if I needed one. Um, let's assume I need one. Let's, like, let's assume I'm making a video game or something. Um, then probably um, apart from looking on, I don't know, ArtStation maybe? I, I think they have a lot of like, you can like do job listings there and stuff. Um, I'd probably do something like that. I'd probably tweet about it. Um, I think word of mouth is a really good way to find people. Uh, but if you if you aren't super connected within the industry um, or you're, you're just not super social and you haven't formed those connections or done the networking thing, I would probably go to ArtStation because they have a really good like a lot of a lot of I mean people just go there it's like the one website people go for that stuff um so yeah I do that or tweet about it and use the appropriate hashtags like I know the game dev hashtag is really good for that stuff um so yeah yeah uh, uh Chad is mentioning LinkedIn as being one of the best options for that um I would also say uh ask producers that are in the industry they'll typically have friends that uh um are either currently looking for work or they've worked with in the past that like what be wanting to work? I don't know. It's hard to tell. But, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I forget uh, about LinkedIn because I, I probably like blacked it out from my memory because it's I. They just spam my email inbox and I'm like, I deleted this account ten years ago. Why are you still doing this, LinkedIn? Why would you let me live? <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, for sure, that would be good. <laughs> and Paul mentions he's going to have a senior producer friend on his next uh, podcast, so that's uh, another avenue for people that are interested in that sort of thing. That's exciting. Uh, and also, uh, I guess a publisher would be another place to reach out to so they could handle that stuff for you. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like uh, that's what Hitpoint Press are doing, I think, at the moment with some people. They were just kind of like, I think a lot of publishers can be as involved as you want them to be. So I think I, I know like some people, like I know Paul reached out to Hitpoint about. Um, you know some of his stuff and it was kind of a I need you guys to do this amount of stuff and then I can do the rest and it's like that might change depending on who you are you might need them to take the reins on more stuff or you might want to like be more hands-on yourself I think it's just a matter of feeling it out um but yeah for sure 
uh, you don't have to answer this if you don't know the answer, but I'm curious, like, what's the uh, give and take as far as like uh, ownership when you do reach out to a producer? Um, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure on that. Actually. That's I, a valid answer. <laughs> it's probably a little bit case by case. I imagine. <laughs> but yeah. Well, I like what you said earlier uh, about hiring people that, you know, when, it, especially when it came to, comes to the artists, because artists can be a finicky bunch. <laughs> and yeah. that's probably like <laughs> the one area where you really want to know people. And I know like the mm-hmm. networking thing can be sort of, you know, I don't know, off-putting for people or even like the whole like, oh, it's all about who you know. But I mean, it's like, yeah, that's that's a, a, that, what we're talking about now, I think is like a an indication of, of wh- why that's a good thing. You know, it's like that's how you mm-hmm. get to be involved in these kinds of like sort of um, I don't know what the term would be for, you know, a project that doesn't sort of like fit this norm of of production you know like how you're letting the artist almost kind of choose the 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 brief for themselves you know and like these kinds of projects that don't have the normal sort of like impositions you know of like a larger uh megalithic company that has the bottom line as the motivating factor but it's cool people that know each other the the nice friend club that as paul calls it (laughs) and Mm. yeah like that's a that's that's a good thing so i don't know it's just i am not really going anywhere with that other than to just like point out how like you know like networking and that kind of thing it's think of it more as just like making friends rather than like this nepotistic thing you know that is like oh gotta play gotta play the game Uh, it doesn't have to be like that yeah i'm it's this stuff is so organic um i mean the illustration community has always seemed to me as like such a friendly place most of the well fantasy illustration i can't speak for you know the whole digital art scene but like i think it is pretty easy to make friends um if you are so inclined and it just kind of happens organically like if you're you don't even have to go to physical events and like they're not even happening right now but like uh you know joining discords um jumping into channels when someone's screen sharing art just hanging out playing games with people like it just kind of happens on its own and if you're a beginner artist and that's what you're doing you'll grow alongside your peers and then suddenly you'll be like oh you guys we should all make something together and then that's how that happens and that's kind of how it happened for me it was like I got to a point where I suddenly needed a bunch of artists for a project I'm like I know a bunch of artists because I've been growing alongside all these people and I know what they're good at and I know a lot of them personally and a lot of them are acquaintances, but I've been following them online for so long that I have a good read on like their personality and their work ethics and stuff. And yeah, it's like the whole nepotism thing is silly because um, I, I, I get how I'm not speaking for in-house. I've never worked in-house, um, but just for freelance, um, I don't really see how it would work if like if you if you hire someone just because they're your friend but they're not good. <laughs> Everyone's going to see that. Like art's such a visual thing. It's, it's not like, it's not like lying about being good at a job that no one's going to realize you're not good at until months down the line or until there is some kind of like annual report or something. It's like, dude, you can just look at someone's portfolio and see if they're good at what they do or not. And um, 
so yeah, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how often that really happens uh, for freelance. Um, just because, you know, it, even if I had a friend, I always run the past my team. I'm like, I'm thinking of this artist for this. Um, what do you guys think? It's never just me being like, okay, we we are. I decree that this person shall be hired for this thing. Like, I'm always running it by a bunch of other people. Um, and yeah, it's just yeah. That hiring someone just because you're friends it's just not something that happens it's not something that would happen certainly I see I do see a lot of comments about like people getting hired for magic just because they're friends with it just because they're just because they're dating this person Archer just couldn't give less of a fuck who you're friends with or who you're dating it like if your work's not good enough they're gonna hire you just because you know someone and put their job at risk and make their product look janky like it, why why would anyone ever do that annoys me that whole conversation whenever i see it i'm like guys sit down you don't obviously you don't quite understand how this works no one's going to jeopardize their product and their job because of that like it it's weird so yeah sorry <laughs> feelings no, about this <laughs> no not at all that that's why i, I wanted to bring it up because I, I it's there's so <laughs> there's so much to that that gets misunderstood and mischaracterized mm -hmm. when uh, yeah yeah, it's interesting because it's funny how you can take the phrase it's who you know and you can use it in a positive way or a really negative way. It's like, what a weird phrase that it, <laughs> it has that like duality. Um, it's who you know. Yeah, if you're a nice person, people are going to want to work with you. Uh, but I think a lot of people say it as in like, oh, you know, if I don't have the connections, I'll never get the opportunities. It's like, well having you know, like networking helps and there's no way around that like yeah it's of course it's going to help um but your work uh, even if you don't network if your work is good people are still going to want to work with you because your work is good uh networking is just it's a bonus and it, it i would say it's the difference between someone not knowing your art and someone having your art kind of in front of their eyes and that's really the most that it does um and also like having an idea of your character and you know what your reputation is definitely like being a nice person <laughs> helps uh yeah i think familiarity is a huge part of it um it, it's who you know does matter because there are probably a lot of people out there who can draw pirates or they can draw dwarves but if somebody comes to me and they say we need somebody that can draw a pirate or a dwarf i'm going to say bob kell because bob kell loves drawing that stuff that's all he loves to do so yeah send them his way because that's who i know and he's also right. yeah. a fucking really nice guy too so that's, there you go, <laughs> case in point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like, uh, if anyone was like wanting to hire someone to draw a big cat, I'd be like, go hire Ilsa Gort. She's amazing. <laughs> she's like, that's all she does. She's the cat queen. Um, yeah, it's, it's, and I love doing that. Like whenever I have to turn down a job, I will have a whole list of people that I can recommend to someone specifically for a specific thing. And that's just, again, it's just an organic thing that happens. Like you just kind of, you end up just following people and getting to know who they are and getting to know their work. And it means that you can refer them to people and that's awesome. So, yeah. Which is something that I wish there was like a, a little more well-known that when you turn down a job, it doesn't mean you just have to end the conversation there. You can forward the job onto your friends that you know that are capable of taking the job. That looks good on both you and them. Yeah, yeah, I love doing that. It makes me so happy when I can do that. Um, 
And it's definitely panned out quite a lot of times. Like my friend will message me and be like, oh, I just got this email from this. And I'm like, yay. Um, and vice versa. I've had so many people recommend me for jobs before. Um, and I'm so grateful to them. Like it's such a lovely thing to do um, for each other. So yeah, I, I would definitely say like, if, if you have to turn down a job for timing reasons or for like rates, even if make sure they have money like friends don't recommend friends to jobs that pay below minimum wage but like <laughs> if they have money and they're paying okay absolutely always recommend someone it's quite like i feel like it's quite a professional thing to do as well it's um because a lot of people who reach out to you they don't know everyone the way we do. like i feel like the illustration community is so tight-knit we all know someone to recommend for something we'll all have someone in our head for this or that but a lot of people who reach out to you have no idea. They don't even know ArtStation exists. They don't know about like Twitter art tags. They don't know about the game dev or the visible woman hashtag. I like pointing people to that one. It's a good one. Um, or the like drawing well black or any of the other really good hashtags specifically to encourage people <laughs> to hire people of color and women and like everyone else. Like it, that's a really good place to point people to as well. And it's like a little thing you can do um, that I think makes really uh, a difference. So yeah, for sure. Joby, do you have any follow-up questions before we move on to the uh, final portion? No, I think that's a good segue into the social media uh, section of the, the conversation. <laughs> so when I first uh, met you, you were uh, streaming on Paul's stream along with him. And you were talking at that time about having taken a, a social media break. And since then you've returned to it, like, uh, how did the br uh, break affect you? Well, <laughs> um, okay. So basically this is me trying to, this is me being the lady doing maths gif, trying to figure out like, you know, when she has all the numbers, that's me right now trying to figure out how to summarize a long fucking story. Um, Basically, um, without going super into detail, um, I'd say like about a year ago now, I had some mental health stuff happen. Um, kind of a bit of a breakdown, a little bit of a breakdown moment. Um, and uh, I think it was because of ongoing stress to do with constantly moving house, um, a bunch of other stuff, like just life stuff, just accumulating. You know, I feel like if you go through your 30s without having a breakdown, what are you really doing? It's like one of those things. Uh, but yeah, I kind of, um, it was interesting. I, um, I've i kind of had anxiety issues kind of in and out all my life. Um, I kind of have had a better handle on them since like I was maybe about 23, 24. Um, but I think it just kind of came up might be because there was a pandemic starting maybe that is maybe that was related uh, there, uh there, probably not there was a pandemic <laughs> what are you talking about yeah i know it, it was it kind of like went under the radar um but yeah i that might have definitely you know and also i was like kind of homesick trying to get back home to australia at the moment haven't seen my family for like five years um there's a lot of things I don't know specifically what caused it. It was just uh, ongoing stress. Turns out stress is one of the worst things for humans and we just kind of normalize it. Um, but as a result, I was essentially like, I would use the words non-functional for sure. Um, had to 
contact all my clients, had to contact wizards because I had a couple of magic cards at the time. And I was just like, I can't do this. Like, I can't even look at my computer. I can't, like, can't do anything. Um, and it was awful. And it's hard to really describe how bad it was. Like, it's hard to be that vulnerable and talk about it that candidly, honestly. Um, but, yeah, it was probably, like, I was in, like, the worst shape mentally I've probably ever been um and reaching out to all my clients was you know it was really sad I I've never had to do that before really um maybe like a couple times but like not for that reason like say I can't do this thing for you and I have to let you down and and I think every person working for magic whenever anything like that happens they're like they're never gonna hire me again and we get, we get a bit dramatic about it and uh, freak out that we've, you know, ruined this opportunity forever and ever. Um, but they were, of course, incredibly understanding, so supportive. I'm like, I remember when I got like a reply to that email, I'm pretty sure I burst into tears um, in a dramatic fashion um, because just what they said was like, so like reassuring um, and uh, like Cynthia Shepard is like an angel um and honestly all my art directors have been so understanding about everything around this stuff um but like yeah I also during that time um it was a good like you know it was a good between two to four months where I was just like I can't do anything I I can't I, I couldn't um use social media couldn't really like couldn't really communicate with people um like typing and reading and writing and stuff was really overwhelming um for some reason it got like sensory overload stuff it was bizarre um and took a huge social media break didn't really want to kind of just had it thrust upon me um turned out to not be such a bad thing because honestly I think being on social media during that whole time would probably have been a stressful experience in itself there was like all the stuff politically going on there was the pandemic it was just a lot um, and then there was also some stuff going on in the art community that was, you know, really upsetting um, that I am glad that it kind of missed. Um, but at the same time, it was really hard feeling so disconnected from the community. Um, and yeah, um, I'm just trying to think how it affected my work because I wasn't really working either. Um, I think when I started sort of talking to people again um, after getting some therapy, which everyone should get. Therapy is fantastic. Uh, medication, also good. Absolutely anything you need to get back on track. We all need help sometimes. Um, I'm a very uh, mental health advocate person and I try to be an open book with this stuff as much as I can, even though it's scary to talk about. Um, but yeah, I eventually got to a point where I was kind of like slowly getting back on track. I was talking to people again. I was trying to look at Twitter sometimes and do normal people things. And it was interesting because at first it was kind of rough because I didn't feel up to, like I, I couldn't really work yet, but I was around other artists and they were all talking about like their, what they were doing. And like, they were, and I was looking at, I was like seeing all their artwork that they were making. And I'm like, oh my God, like, this is weird. Like, I kind of don't want to be here because I'm seeing all this stuff that I can't, I don't feel like I can join in with. Um, and that time, like early on with Paul's stream, when I was hanging out in there, 
I felt that a lot, like, because uh, obviously we talked about the industry a lot. We talked about making art a lot. And at the same time, like, you know, people in chat would, like, with the best intentions, be like, Alicia, what are you working on right now? And I'm like, I'm not working on anything because my brain is broken. <laughs> but like, I didn't want to, I couldn't go into it. Like, I didn't want to say what was actually going on with me because I was so, I was so like in it at the time. And I was like, this is too close. I, I can't vocalize this so I would just say some vague like you know it's NDA uh <laughs> or whatever um but yeah it was really rough at first like kind of coming back from that break for me just because it was a weird circumstance um but I think um you know as of honestly pretty recently like the last couple of months I've started taking like freelance commissions again I've started taking magic cards again and it's going pretty good so far. Um, and I've also kind of like reintegrated myself with the art community and it's really helped because I'm surrounded by people who are excited about making art and that is kind of um, quite a contagious thing. So yeah, I don't know, it's been a weird journey. It wasn't one of those things where people are like, I'm going to take a social media break because it's a healthy thing to do and it's going to help me with focus and and you know all this stuff and it's like no I didn't do it because I wanted to it just kind of happened um and but I don't think it was necessarily a bad thing so yeah that's that's my summary <laughs> of that whole situation uh, what you said uh struck me um personally uh when you said uh you reached out and the conversations were hard to have but everybody was so positive I was on a medication like a couple years ago and I uh, talked to my boss about it. And then he was like, oh yeah, I am on this. And I'm like, okay. And then I talked to my other boss and like, oh yeah, I was on this, this, and this. And then I talked to a friend and they were like, oh yeah, I've been on this. And that's the same as you. And did you have the, uh, the brain zaps when you stopped? Yeah, I did too. So it's super common and nobody talks about it. But when you do talk about it, everybody's so much more open to talk to you about it because they've been balling it up too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I was so scared to talk about this stuff because even though we're really good with mental health awareness lately, especially artists, because we, we're all dealing with a lot of stuff. Like, I feel like creative types just always have a lot of stuff going on. Um, it's still hard to talk about. It's still, it's hard to say I've gotten to a point where I need to take something to help my brain chemicals. Like, it's, it's like hard. I feel like we're getting away from that whole, this is a stigma thing, but it's still not quite there and it feels quite personal. Um, and I think if you're not familiar with how those type of medications work, like you might look at someone a little bit differently if you know they're taking it. And that's probably because of like, just a lack of education about how they do work. Honestly, they don't feel dissimilar to taking a vitamin. Um, like if you're anemic and you take iron supplements to make sure that you're absorbing iron properly, it's not that different. It's just like for serotonin. It's it's weird. Like I didn't realize that either. I didn't have any idea how they worked until I started taking them. And I looked into it. I'm like, oh, okay. This literally like SSRIs, they just, they're like, oh, hey, it's okay. here's what happens when you, you know, when you're having some issues, your brain's like, I'm going to make, here, I made you this. I made you this serotonin here do you want it and then you take it and then it's like haha bam and it smacks it out of your hand into a pond and you're like i wasn't done and your brain's like 
oh, I thought you were done. And it's like, I had that for like two seconds. I haven't even used it yet. And your brain's like, lol, too bad. Bye. <laughs> and um, that's what happens with your brain. And all SSRIs do is like not, doesn't let your brain take it back and whap it into a pond. They just let you use it. And that's all they do. And so it's like figuring out how these things actually work and how they affect people, I feel like helps un- it helps you kind of understand them a bit more. Uh, and hopefully gets rid of the stigma. Um, they they don't change you as a person. They just let you be functional. And you're completely right. Once you start talking about like, oh, I'm having a really hard time with this. I started taking this. Fucking everyone you know is taking them and they just don't talk about it. Like the amount of people who are like, oh yeah, I take that. Like I have like, I don't know, like 10 friends who take the same thing. Like it, it's insane. Um, and just no one talks about it. Um, but it's super normal. And um, and I think especially right now, we're in a really weird time. And I think a lot of people who have probably been maybe struggling for quite a while, um, suddenly that's a little bit amplified because of everything going on. And it's a really good time to actually get help that maybe you've like been putting off for a while. And so for me, like I think all that stuff that happened was like a catalyst for that, honestly. So, yeah. Uh. It's also important to note that uh, the side effects are different for everybody. So some people that are able to take whatever uh, we took, uh, mm-hmm. able to do it fine. Other people are like, oh, I couldn't do that because X, Y, and Z. So then they switch it to a different one. Their doctor switched into another one. Their doctor switched into another one until they finally found something that worked for them. So it's yeah. unfortunately not a magic bullet thing. It's a trial and error thing. And yeah. You'll, oh. you'll, you'll hear a lot too about, you know, a lot of chatter about, negative experiences or negative side effects or you know or you know and people love to be online doctors and they're like oh <laughs> like there's all of these other things that you should be doing besides you know taking <laughs> medication so when that's like so much part of the the conversation it sort of muddies the water as far as like who it actually could be good for you know and maybe stalls people out in pursuing that cuz it it kind of reinforces the stigma in this sort of like reversed way where it's not just like the stigma just like around like having mental health problems but like this like oh you're in there's alternative alternative medicines or you know alternative treatments or you know and then like don't go with the medication is is the thing but anyway yeah shout out mental health for sure yeah yeah for sure like good points from both of you honestly um it's i've had like psychiatrists tell me that medication is less of a science and more of an art form in that it's so trial and error everyone is completely individual um just if it's something that your doctor suggests just i i would say probably ask to see a psychiatrist so you can work closely with someone and just make sure that it's like right for you you don't want something that's going to make you feel worse because that could definitely happen um and all of this there's definitely side effects because of stuff i do think it should be not like maybe not a last resort, but it certainly shouldn't be the first thing. Um, I like I don't particularly like it when I go into a doctor and I'm like, oh, like I'm struggling with this, and they're like, take this, take these pills. And I'm like, should I like do something else? Like, should I like go through therapy at least as well as this? Um, and I do think that's really important. Like therapy, um, you know, sometimes you do need medication, but therapy is going to help no matter what you're doing. Um, usually both is a really good combination depending on what you're dealing with um 
but I've gotten through a lot of stuff personally with just therapy, like CBT and stuff. It's really good. Um, but yeah, I think definitely when people come in with alternatives and they're like, oh, have you tried exercising? Have you tried eating differently? It's like, dude, like every person. Keto, man. Keto stuff. fixes everything. I don't want to hear about your medications. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, guys, come on. <laughs> It's yeah, I've definitely um, run into that a lot. And and honestly, I was terrified of medication for a long time. Um, I thought it would like, you know, change who I was. And and you hear a lot of artists being worried about this stuff um, affecting their ability to be creative. And I'm sure that can happen for some people. But for a lot of people, it doesn't do that whatsoever. It allows you to do your job because you're not horribly depressed or anxious. Like that's pretty good. I think that's a good thing for creativity um but yeah it's an interesting one and i'm i'm glad that people are talking about it more openly honestly um it's helped me feel less alert with all my stuff so yeah and i'm looking forward to um the expanded uh legalization of uh psilocybin i can't pronounce mushrooms basically. yes yeah um i've heard that it is really good for certain things like um like ptsd and other such uh, it's interesting i'm yeah i saw that recently um it's really sounds really good i'm glad they're legalizing stuff that can help people uh, all the options we have it's just gonna be better so yeah the hospital i uh, work for they uh, are doing trials on the stuff for different things like even uh, quitting smoking um oh wow i'm like i wish i had smoked so i could you know just get on that trial but no yeah always time to take it up no 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 don't do that <laughs> don't take up smoking no. but yeah it's 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 really interesting what they're doing there i'm glad yeah okay uh switching back gears back to social media uh as one does without a segue uh From social media to taking mushrooms back to social media <laughs> I'm, sure, it's good. I'm sure you can buy mushrooms on social media by the way oh speaking more questions on social media uh <laughs> do you treat uh social media differently uh following the break that you took um i care about it way less um that's actually interesting i was talking to my therapist about this a while ago um and she said that when she gets her clients to stop with social media because it like it's such an addictive thing um it's that constant like seeking out dopamine dopamine hits etc but it just doesn't really work like it has like diminishing returns after a certain point and all of that stuff um she said that generally what she does is they she asks them to go completely cold turkey on it for four weeks and after that if they get to that point they won't have those urges to check check twitter check instagram facebook whatever as if anyone used Facebook apart from boomers, but like, let's pretend. Um, but <laughs> Facebook doesn't even have a good memes, okay? Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but yes, um, I think um, once you get past the four weeks, the urge to check stuff, it's just not really there. Like, it, it, And I think that was kind of a nice little side effect. Um, I... I'm a lot more comfortable posting something and then just kind of leaving it and not checking like to see what the reception is. Um, if that makes sense. So yeah. Post and ghost. Yeah. I like doing that. <laughs> it's, it's good. I think I like, this is another weird thing that um, it might be a point of contention contention with some people because I, I see a lot of Twitter threads where people have very strong opinions about interaction on social media with like if you paint 
if you paint something, post on social media, there are a lot of people who think it's really rude not to, you know, personally thank every single person for commenting and, and, you know, and I'm like, okay, I don't know if this is, this is a, a lukewarm take, but I don't think people need to do that. Um, if, especially if they get something that goes a little bit viral and there is just so many replies I like everything because I think that's a nice way to be like, thank you, like, here's a love heart. But like, I think if we all sat there and did personalized thank you messages to every single comment, we wouldn't be doing art because we'd be too busy doing that. And um, yeah, I think, I think stuff like that, just kind of figuring out ways that you can kind of just like take a step back and just, you know, like be more selective with your energy for social media stuff, like definitely join in conversations that you care about, but, um, you know, just um, be more kind of reasonable with yourself and like the, you know, the time that you spend on it and stuff like that. Yeah. The people that are uh, replying to every thread, uh, every comment, those people have, I'm not everyone, but a lot of those people are, have assistants that are doing it for them. So. Oh, that's such a good idea. And they're, <laughs> they're paying some 14 year old out in a, Southeast Asia to do it for them. And that's how they say thank you to all of these people. And that helps with the algorithm, but it's, you know, time away. That would be time away from what you're actually want to do with your life. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of, I completely forget that people have like virtual assistants and stuff. Um, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'll, I'll one up your lukewarm take with a, with a hot one. <laughs> Um, (laughs) and I'm not, and I'm not saying that like everybody in that conversation is doing this necessarily, but I I think that it's actually like kind of rude and with, and no offense if you're somebody that has had this opinion, but it, it, if you're making a comment on somebody's post, ideally that should be a thing that you're doing to, to be just to be nice. And if you're, but if you're doing mm. things to be nice with the expectation that something is going to happen in return, then that's not being nice. You're, you're, you're not giving, you're taking and putting it in this disguise of a compliment. And that's kind of fucked up. And even if you don't intend for that to be the case and you've made the argument on social media that like, hey, you should respond to blah, blah, blah. People go out of their way to support you and it would be nice. Well, but I mean, sure. But that's on you. <laughs> you're if you're here to be nice, great, thank you. And yeah, but I mean that I don't know. It doesn't like put me in debt. I don't owe you a coke now. So anyway, that's my that's my hot take. <laughs> I totally get where you're coming from. Um, yeah, it's weird. I I comment on a lot of people's stuff, and I never expect a reply. Like I know they're probably going to see it, and usually they'll like it or something. And like, dude, that's enough. Like you're busy probably um i do like i really love taking the time to reply to people who say something that's quite like meaningful um or if they say something about like about a painting that i put a lot of work into and i'm like oh my god you noticed um or you know so i'll definitely do that um but sometimes you know someone will comment with like a cute emoji and i'm like well i'm I could reply with a different emoji. And sometimes like if I have nothing to do, I'll do that. But like, I, I just try to like put limits on myself with this stuff. Cause I, I think if I feel obliged to comment, reply to absolutely everything, it, 
it just would mean that I'm on social media more than I want to be. Um, and I just think that, yeah, I, I don't know. Just, yeah, if you want to say something nice about someone's art, just do it and then don't expect something because maybe the person's like, maybe they have hard limits with their screen time. I know lots of people have that. Um, maybe they, uh, I don't know, maybe they're busy. Maybe, they, maybe they're socially anxious. Some people actually get anxious about talking to people on Twitter. It's weird. Like, I don't know. It kind of makes sense. So yeah, it's, I, th I think there's just like a lot of assumptions about what's going on behind a computer screen. Um, and I think Twitter needs to chill out with that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's an it's another it's another place for the mental exercise that's I think very healthy to be like always cognizant of when you're on social media, which is to pretend that you're actually in person and think yeah. about how, what what is your reaction going to be if you were in person, or what would you you know what would your reaction be, or what would your behavior be uh, if you were literally sitting right next to this person? Would you be like, hey, that's a great drawing? I'm, 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 I'm waiting to hear something back from you and you're not, why aren't you? I don't, why aren't you replying oh, to me? Oh, you're just going to say thanks. That's it. Okay. Well, cool. You know, it don't, you're going to say the same thank you you said to that other guy who also said, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like, yeah. it's not, it's, you, you wouldn't come with all of these like loaded preconceptions about how that interaction is going to be, you know? Uh, mm, also yeah. don't be an asshole. Yeah. Be nice. Just have some chill. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, what you mentioned about uh, social media anxiety, uh, like tweeting. Uh, I have a few friends who asked me to write tweets for them because they are just petrified of Aww. coming up with these small comments that encapsulate everything that they need to say and not come off like a jerk, right? So, And they also feel like they're saying on a rooftop and they're just shouting out and hoping that somebody hears them, right? So that gives them anxiety that Nobody's going to hear them, even if they say something. So why say anything at all? Can you help me, Moose? So, yeah, that's... Oh, that's lovely that you do that for those people because I know some people do really struggle with it. Um, and it's something that I think is hard to understand if you don't struggle with it because it's hard to imagine yourself being in that position. But um, I definitely get that sometimes with, like, important tweets. I'll be like, can you guys read this? Does this make... Because... Twitter is really reactionary. And if you don't word something perfectly, someone's going to get mad at you. Um, that just happens. You can, like, you can do something with like the purest of intentions, but someone's going to get mad at you. Um, and so I, I, yeah, I get really worried about wording for things that are important. Um, and I definitely screenshot my tweet draft and I'm like, hey, do you guys think this is okay? Can you have a look at it? Um, so yeah, it, I think it's, yeah, definitely quite normal um, and very understandable. <laughs> Uh, but you've now you're now in a, a unique role where you were a art director. So now you have an additional layer where people contact you. I imagine for uh, art jobs, having seen that on your resume, does that not add an additional burden to your uh, social media activity? Um, I usually I don't like it when people DM me about work stuff because it's hard to keep track of DMs. And I also think it's just good practice to email people. Um, so I usually do get emails. Um, if I get DMs, they usually get filtered to my people I don't follow inbox thing or message requests. I don't know. Um, so it's not too much of a burden just because I tend to miss them. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't really mind 
that part of things i i it's really heartwarming when people reach out and be like you know can i do some work for you guys and i i want to contribute to this project they're always people who are fans like existing fans of the project they're always people who have like played the campaign and they'll they'll be like oh like i was i was playing this with my daughter or i i play this every week with my friends over zoom or zoom discord probably um but you know like they'll always have this little story and, and it's just really lovely i think working with people who are already a fan of the project it's just really special um and so yeah it, it was, if anything it's a really nice heartwarming thing um it can sometimes the only time it ever stresses me out is if i'm extremely busy and i don't have time to get back to everyone who's like emailing me to say like can we work with you and that's when like i would encourage everyone to just keep in mind if art directors don't reply to you it doesn't mean they haven't seen your email i have a whole ass folder that i put people's emails in um which is just when i need an artist look at this folder um i i never just delete them i always keep them um and i think that's typically what happens i i think if you want to make it as easy as possible um just watermark all your art which is a weird thing to say um the reason being sometimes we save paintings rather than like messages or emails and if you have your email on your art or your website url whatever just make sure it's there because art directors are going to like click and drag stuff all the time into their folders and it's really easy to just have the name right there um yeah so i don't know <laughs> yeah that's a that's probably a good tip um and dude i suck at remembering to say half the other personal social media doesn't have my email on it i'm not even taking my own advice right now but whatever there what you who's gonna stop me from giving advice that i don't even do myself no one the art police <laughs> we, we are the art police by the way yeah uh, oh, no, our, you're the mafia. mafia oh that's a good point we're the we're the opposite that's wait are you opposite. a narc <laughs> All right. Uh, well played. Well played. Um, <laughs> I was going to say uh, a lot of people will also pin these things to Pinterest. So indirectly or other sharing websites. So indirectly it can mm. reach an art director, even though you weren't the one that shares it. So having some way for them to find you is key. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, always put your email in there or website, but like, don't do it in big ghost text. A lot of people do that. I'm like, dude, like, come on, we can zoom in. Like it's, it's fine. And like do it at like 50% opacity or something. Like we don't need this huge, I'm weird about watermarks. Like, uh, uh, you know, and I know a lot of people are really worried about the NFT thing. Again, don't mean to touch on it. I know it's a bit of a, you know, a bit of a subject right now, but like, that's a valid concern. I just like the big watermarks, man. They make me sad. Like. A lot of people will put it underneath the thing rather than on, over top of the thing, over top of the drawing, right? So you have a little bit of a, border mm. room that you can put your uh, website address or your twitch url or whatever it is yeah i just put it down like the bottom right or bottom left or whatever um there's no need to put something in the middle of a drawing so people can't print it out and i have weird opinions about okay here's a little lukewarm take yeah that's all you're gonna get from me is lukewarm takes i don't have a lot of hot takes um I don't think watermarks are necessary to prevent people from printing your art because if someone's going to print your art on their home computer, they weren't going to buy a print anyway. You're not losing a customer. It's just some kid printing your art. Definitely different situation when it's like some company in another country printing out your art and selling it as merch. That's a whole other story. 
but like yeah i if someone wants to print my art at home to put on their wall have at it it doesn't it's not losing me any anything um so yeah i don't know that's an opinion i have <laughs> yeah those people aren't going to be buying your print for 40 dollars at the uh, next convention anyway right yeah exactly i'm like my art's on their wall that's cool um you know it's not going to be as nice quality as the stuff from imprint anyway like they're not going to be getting the same product it's going to be printed on their home printer um but yeah i don't know i tend to upload my art at quite high res sizes so people can use them as like wallpapers and stuff um i know not everyone does that and that's completely reasonable um but yeah i think if you're going to upload stuff at a smaller size i just don't think the watermarks like the huge watermarks are really necessary like it's you know covering up your artwork doesn't really help you so yeah <laughs> and if anybody has even an ounce of skill with a photoshop they'll be able to remove the the uh the watermark yeah easily. totally <laughs> yeah photoshop and it's kind of aware is pretty good but also yeah like if it's but, not sorry i was gonna say especially the faces the oh my faces. god hilarious amazing i can't believe they don't advertise that more like Adobe should advertise Photoshop with that, then maybe people would pay the ridiculous prices they demand from us to use it every month more willingly. <laughs> well, it is industry standard for now. Are we, are we going to have an Adobe rant now? Uh, what? Can we please? No. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> then we'll just be going for hours if we start on <laughs> that train. Um, but yeah, it, it's a special program. So special. <laughs> All right. Uh, so changing gears slightly, uh, still uh, mixes in with mental health, but it's also art related. So uh, mm -hmm. you have a, an affinity for uh, drawing animals, especially when they're cute. Um, many artists have expressed in the past to us that uh, their best work is when they're working on their favorite niche, which we've also talked about earlier today. Um, uh, and they feel more drained when they're not working on uh, art that's in their niche. Are either of those the case for you, or are you more uh, open to working on things that are not uh, cute animals? Um, I kind of do a lot of stuff. Um, I sometimes really enjoy figurative work. I find it quite hard. Um, drawing people, to me, is harder than drawing animals. Um, but I do enjoy it sometimes. Most of the time it's quite a slog. And then like the last 10% of the painting, I'll be like, oh, this doesn't look horrible. I might like this maybe. I'll, and I'll allow myself to kind of enjoy that tiny amount of, but the rest of the time it's gonna be a trash fire and I'm gonna be freaking out. But like, I'm getting a bit better at it. Maybe I'm trying to get better at it anyway. I don't know. Um, animals definitely comfort zone. Um, they don't have to be cute. If they are cute, totally cool with that. Um, I do kind of want to branch out and do some more like scary creatures sometimes. Um, I've done a few here and there. I did this really cool spider that like is huge and like traps people in. It's like the spider from Lord of the Rings, let's be real. It's like that. I did that for Cobalt Press. That was so much fun. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I like, sometimes I like drawing creepy stuff um, and I should do it more often probably. Um, but yeah, I think, um, in terms of it being draining, um, I think it's good to mix it up. I 
I guess it depends on what you mean by draining. Um, it can definitely, you can definitely feel like a bit tired from the extra effort you have to put in when it's something that you're not super familiar with. Um, but I think it also can be energizing because you're doing something different and you kind of have to like try harder sometimes. And sometimes that's nice. Like I feel like if I was just doing the same thing over and over again, I would really plateau and I'd get really restless. Um, so yeah. Well, uh, Often this is most uh, prominent when somebody's working outside of their niche primarily. So if you were to have to draw figure, uh, human figures like exclusively, and then <laughs> never be hired to do animals because they're not in your portfolio and you haven't uh, been able to add them to your portfolio because you still aren't doing the work, mm -hmm. it's like a vicious cycle. Yeah. And I was in that, I was definitely in that stage. I think we all get in that stage where we've done a bunch of work that we don't really want to do, but we do it because we need the money and we're just taking whatever we can get. And then you end up with a weird janky portfolio full of stuff that you don't even like. And then you keep getting hired to do the stuff you don't even like. And it, yeah, it is absolutely a cycle. I think the best way to break out of that is to really just make sure you take even an hour, 10 minutes a day, what, however little time you can take to work on personal art so you can slowly like phase out all of the shit you don't like and and like just be like here's my personal art here's the stuff i actually like and then you'll start getting hired for that i think that's the only thing you can really do when you're juggling like making a living with the art that maybe you don't really enjoy um but yeah i think in that case if you're doing stuff that you just are not remotely invested in it's it can be really demoralizing for sure. Um, just like don't care about what you're doing and you don't get to really, like I often felt like I didn't get to level up in any significant way because I was just kind of scrambling to meet deadlines, doing work that I didn't really like and I wasn't particularly good at. And so I didn't feel like I was really getting anywhere. And I think that is draining and it can make you feel quite like, I don't know, like stuck. Um, yeah, it's really frustrating. All right, we're uh, heading towards the, the final turn. Joby, do you have any uh, follow-up questions for this section? No, I don't think so. All right. So uh, as we wrap up, we have a few couple questions left. Um, where would you like people to find, uh, find you if they're looking to interact with you or see more of your work? Um, oh, OK. You can go to my website at www.leashhannigan.com or uh twitter also my name just if you just type in leisha hannigan luckily there aren't any others it's got a weird name um then you can definitely find me on twitter i'm most active there i've been trying to post to instagram i kind of suck at it um but i've been starting to post to instagram too same name just type in leisha hannigan and you'll find me there um and those are the only places i really post anything i guess i post to art station but you're not going to get any cool memes there so what really is the point um, whereas on Twitter, I retweet a lot of nonsense. So yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Joby, do you want to take the final trademark question? You know that I love it. Uh, aside from personal projects and career, Alicia, what is one thing that's happening in the world that you're excited about? Um, it's funny cause I knew you were going to ask this. And I didn't prepare anything. <laughs> Um, one thing that's happened in the world that I'm excited about, um, I'm excited 
about uh, the political scene in America getting a lot better. I'm excited for women and people of color being hired to do important jobs that are going to make things easier for people over there. Um, I'm excited about um, it was uh, recently Trans Awareness Day and I saw an outpouring of love and support for that community. That was fantastic. And I think this is the stuff that's at the forefront of my mind. Um, I'm low-key really excited that Australia is now not really in lockdown anymore, um, which is great because I'm trying to move back there. Um, it's nice to see some countries kind of doing really well, the vaccine rolling out. So there's like a little group of like, you know, world is being better things uh, that, that make me happy. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> and Chad is screaming out, uh, the nice friend club is something you should also be happy about. <laughs> yes, nice friend club. Best community on the internet. Um, I don't know how to shout out that community because it's not a website, it's a Discord. Uh, but I guess you'll have to go to Paul's Twitch stream, which is... Way to changed it. I think it's twitch.tv slash Paul Canavan because he took out his middle name, aka his real name. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, definitely go there. And uh, we have a Discord and we're really friendly and nice and not weird at all. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that Discord uh, Discord invite will be linked in the show notes too. So, anybody oh, awesome. that wants to. Maybe, Maybe not. not. Uh, uh, my understanding is Paul wanted that to uh, be a little bit more invite only. Uh, I see. So I'm it's, gonna the, edit the that part blew, out. The Discord <laughs> server blew up, and so it's a little bit harder to manage. So, yeah. If if, if you're interested in a nice art Discord, um, definitely come to the stream, say hello, um, and you know, just ask for an invite. And uh, assuming you didn't say anything really weird, I'm sure we'll be happy to have you. Here. <laughs> And Paul's actually in chat and says, no, no, it's fine. So assuming that oh. Twitch delay doesn't mean that he's answering that's fine to something else. <laughs> we'll check in on that. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Lisa. It's been uh, great having you. You were like an amazing guest. And, uh, I really appreciate all the information that you brought on to us. Thank you so much for having me. I've never done a on-camera talky interview before. You guys are the first ones you ever got to do that so i'm sorry <laughs> don't be you, you're yeah. you're you're a natural i'd say you uh you have a knack i think that i mean <laughs> well the you know you like you you're like yeah sure i'll be an art director <laughs> i mean this has got to be that, this, this is this has got to be like i don't know walk in the park seems more difficult than what this would be compared to just jumping into being an art director mm, i don't know maybe <laughs> Well, maybe. Well, nonetheless, thank you very much for your time. And uh, if you ever want more practice, we'd be happy to have you on again in the future. Yeah, that would be really fun. Thank you so much. It's, it's been really nice talking to you guys. Fantastic. I'm going to hit.